to Shot Reverse Shot, a film and television podcast in which we talk about a topic which changes from episode to episode. I'm Edwin Davis. Since opening in the US on February 24th, Jordan Peele's Get Out has been nothing short of a pop culture phenomenon. Taking its cue from films like Rosemary's Baby and The Stepford Wives, the horror thriller about an African-American man who visits his white girlfriend's family for the weekend mines scares and laughs from the myth of a post-racial America, as well as the discomforting reality of racism existing beneath the surface of white liberal America. At the time of writing, the film has earned over $141 million in the US alone and has received the sort of acclaim reserved for Oscar contenders released in the autumn, not horror films coming out in the dumping ground of spring. To help me unpack the film, Drax Them Sklounced and Get Our Bergeron is a writer for publications including Vodzilla, Think Theology and BBC Radio Scotland. It's Nathaniel Smith. Hi Nat, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. I'm enjoying the uh Flor- the surprisingly overcast florida weather which is a uh, kind of nice break from constant heat but also makes you wonder why you live in florida yeah well i, I mean i'm excited to be here because although i've done um radio stuff uh, this is actually my first podcast oh cool so, so I'm, I'm i'm quite excited to you know feign enthusiasm for squarespace or like underwear <laughs> or pre- presuming you've got all that um sponsorship money ro- rolling in Oh, so, so much, so much of Casper mattresses and, uh, yeah. I don't know, po- that Postmates, Stamp. that's a big one. Stamps.com or something. Yep, yep, all of the um, big advertisers are knocking at my door. Uh, yeah. That's not true. Well, we, 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 <laughs> I heartily endorse this product. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my favourite thing about podcasting in general, certainly uh, recently, is hearing various podcasts who have been given the same copy uh, at a certain point getting very tired of having to say it and just making fun of the copy like on i think it was on pod save america or pod save the world recently they were reading something that was clearly boilerplate stuff and they were joking about how in a previous edition of the podcast one of them had told the same anecdote and pretended it was their own so the <laughs> i'm not sure how happy sponsors are with that sort of deconstruction of the advertising it- medium but it's, it amuses me greatly I think I think if you're uh, sponsoring the McElroy brothers for <laughs> my, my brother and bro- my brother and me, you've got to anticipate that their sponsorship bit is hardly going to be serious. But that that's surely in the appeal, I, I suppose. Yeah, they're they're pretty much the best at it, if only because they they do spend an <laughs> awful lot of time on every single advert. But the... yeah, yeah, it's content in and of itself. Like it's as amusing to listen to as the rest of their show. Yeah, I mean, oh, this is kind of about the nature of podcasting now, I guess, this episode. But um... this, this is this is meta. It's where you, the podcast about podcasts. And there, yeah. there, there's a podcast idea, actually. I think Review. there's like there's like a dozen podcasts about podcasts. Oh no, oh, I'm so behind the times. Yeah, it's that that and Game of Thrones and Westworld. Those are the ones that seem to attract the most podcasts. When you think one of these will do, I don't yeah. need to listen to all of these. Well, um, Kaylee, Kaylee, who was on your show last week, is mm. she's an old old friend of mine. We uh, we were at university together, mm-hmm. and um, she was like, "Oh, just pick a TV series and do recaps of that." But I mean, TV's the worst. TV. Can <laughs> run, so. I think uh, I was at one point considering doing a Twilight Zone podcast like that, where you watch each episode and then talk about it. And 
I had even thought of a title for it, which was submitted for your approval. And then I thought that would be a really fun idea for podcasts. And I just either went on iTunes and of course, someone else had used that exact same name. Of course, of course. However, the Twilight Zone could be a good segue from talking about podcasts to talking about what we're actually talking about. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) we'll get we'll get back up. We'll get onto the actual topic of this, which is the film Get Out, which is the new film or the first film from Jordan Peele, most famous for being half of the comedy duo Key and Peele and an actor in his own right but but obviously i think that is the thing for which he is he is most well known and the thing which i referenced in in the intro when i tried to quote yes. from ready prepared for terry's <laughs> prepared for terry's which i think is just a, a sublime piece of surreal comedy did he not he also wrote keanu though as well didn't he yes yeah they they co-wrote and starred in keanu last year which was very much their attempt that, at, at moving into into cinema which ended up not quite working out no it was a bit of a shame it it, it was a sketch idea stretched out over the film and th- there were some inspired moments in it but I, I i kind of felt like it pulled its punches um yeah i i think that there could have been uh, it would have been more in keeping with the sort of sentiments of their show perhaps if like all the characters had just died at the end Hmm. Instead of like being arrested and ending on kind of a lame joke, if 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 they'd have just been shot by the police, it would have been one of those like absolutely savage moments. But in 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 the way that they're always able to get away with on on their sketches, and and it also was strange because the the stuff that they were kind of exploring about the ideas of black masculinity and code switching and and the difficulty being Mm -hmm. kind of biracial in america and having being able to exist in kind of different spheres of of society was stuff that they had explored on the show as well but Uh, it's their bread and butter yeah exactly but it was so strange that when they were given more time to explore it their explanation of it became shallower by the way i i mean i should just say i'm I'm really looking forward to discussing sort of black masculinity with you a fellow (laughs) A fellow white man is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we should probably get that out of the way at the beginning. Yeah, we, this, you know, this is a film, Get Out, and Jordan Peele's work in general is obviously very much focused on the, the question of race in America and the, the point at which kind of, um, kind of black people and white people intersect uh, and, and kind of the ideas about race on both sides of that divide. But, uh, you know, I think that why, why I really wanted to talk about with you, other than the, the fact that, uh, you know, I know that you and I are both big fans of, of Key and Peele and we're both very Certainly excited are, yes. about this movie, was that um, I think it's I, I wanted to talk with someone about the movie who um, would f- possibly feel as un- be made to feel as uncomfortable uh, while watching the movie as I was at times because I went into it thinking I know what this is going to be it's going to be kind of making fun of these kind of um, pious liberals like what I am but I'll still be able to take it because I know that's what that's going to be but while watching it there were a lot of points where I was thinking oh yeah I've done some variation on on that when talking to to African-Americans or back home in England talking to people who, who are people of color where you kind of gravitate to talking about their culture because you don't really know what else to say and things like bradley whitford saying like you know i would have voted for obama for a third time things like that um those kind of really awkward attempts to find common ground which are kind of well-meaning but also really come across as patronizing it's the thing where you start a conversation with 
somebody who's non-white and mm-hmm. one of the first things you try and do is advertise how woke you are yes and, and in doing that just reveal how desperately unwoke or whatever the opposite of woke would be let's say oh no yeah i'm i'm switched on to all of these social issues and by doing that you're just showing yourself up uh and yeah there were some excruciating moments that um it was it was definitely caused some introspection i would say yeah and also as uh, an immigrant to the u.s as i am it was also interesting because i've certainly been on the receiving end of that which is that people at work every time there's a story about the royal family they instantly go and talk to me and ask me what I think about like the new royal baby or whatever. It's just like, I don't care. <laughs> I have no interest in the royal family whatsoever. But okay, fine, I'll I'll um I'll entertain your decision to kind of talk to me about them for, for five minutes because it would be a lot more awkward for me to explain my kind of anti royalist sentiment um bred into uh, me from a young age. Any Americans coming over here right now will Oh uh, yeah. Will just be like Oh, okay. So you're from America. What about Trump, eh? What's mm. that about? <laughs> yeah, I had that at. I went to a wedding in France um, in February for for one of my best friends, and that was the 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 things that everyone wanted to talk to me about were either Brexit, obviously, mm-hmm. or or about Trump when they found out that I live in the US, and it's just like, okay, I I do have a lot of things to say about this, but this is also a wedding, and I don't want to yeah. kind of well, just start screaming. <laughs> Well, I, li- I live in Scotland, so we now have the uh, tasty third topic to discuss of a potential uh, extra independence referendum. So, you know, it, the, the, the topics never stop. And I'm like, mm-hmm. can I, can I uh, talk about films instead? Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so that's kind of where I came at it from was that, you know, I, I, I went in thinking, like you say, I think I'm very woke. I'll be fine. You know, I'll, I'll be fine watching this movie. And I think for, for the most part I was, but there were a lot of part, there were a lot of moments like the, the early parts of the movie before the horror. Well, actually, no, I was going to say before the horror kicks in, but the horror of the movie kicks in from the very first scene when uh, a mm-hmm. character played by Lakeith Stanfield, who is walking through uh, this kind of Tony suburb to try in, in ups- uh, upstate New York, trying to find an address is stalked by uh, a car and then which starts playing run rabbit which is utterly terrifying in and of itself that song is very creepy uh, and is then kind of put in a chokehold and then put in a car and kidnapped and you kind of from from the off you know you you know that this is film is setting up the fact that suburbia is a dangerous place to be for you know an african-american male yeah. In, which is true in in reality as well, but I think it kind of sets out its stall, both by invoking imagery of of like Eric Garner's death or the story or Trayvon Martin's death. So real mm-hmm. life instances of of uh, of violence against real life um, black people in America. But then it, it's doing that to kind of let you know as much as this is going to you're you're now going to get like forty five minutes of kind of very pointed satire. But don't forget that this is this is a horror movie. Yeah, there was a an, one of the early Key and Peele sketches was just of uh, Jordan Peele walking through suburbia mm. and increasingly feeling uncomfortable. And then a police car pulls up and he pulls up a hoodie and on the hoodie is illustrated a white face. Yeah. <laughs> and the policeman just drives on happily when he realizes that it's a white person. So it, it kind of, it's something that's, and then you, you get it in um, the suburban zombies skit and mm-hmm. the... the um, arguably the Negro Town skits, 
there this sort of discomfort with suburbia is a it's a preoccupation i would say of of their sketches and and when that was the first scene i was like oh i'm in familiar territory only i'm not laughing now mm. yeah now you are deeply afraid and and you should be because that's kind of they want to put you yeah as it's a, it's a movie i would say that is is basically for everyone but that opening scene to me read as uh for the kind of the african-american audience and, and people of color in general that's saying okay you know what this kind of situation is about and for maybe the, the white audience who don't think about things in those terms it was setting out you know this is what it's like <laughs> this yeah. is how this is how a lot of us feel all of the time so now that you have been introduced to that idea you know let's let's get on with the story and then you see also that the very next scene is uh the character of chris dr- played by uh daniel kaluuya and his girlfriend rose driving to uh to upstate new york for, uh, from i think i assume he lives in brooklyn i'm pretty sure he, he lives in brooklyn in the film and although how is he affording that apartment <laughs> as a photographer like <laughs> Where's he, selling, where's he selling his photos? Yeah, that's it. I think, yeah, <laughs> that may be the biggest reach in the whole movie, yeah. <laughs> as, as is often the case in, in those kind of uh, yeah, movies. Yeah, absolutely. But but yeah, they're, they're driving up. They hit a deer, which kind of sets up a lot of, of things later on uh, psychologically with the character of Chris. But then they are, you know, they call the police who come along and the police officer is very aggressive to towards chris you know demanding to see his id even though he wasn't driving and things like that and then rose kind of gets really indignant and then you kind of again it kind of reinforces the idea of of the the kind of of white people who get very offended on behalf of of black people all the time whereas for a a lot of black people in those situation what they want to do is just to kind of like be as frictionless as possible because any friction could end very very badly you know it could end with their name trend trending on twitter one of the things I found uh, particularly effective about the film was how effortless its, its social commentary was. It wasn't mm. like, um, look, guys, we're making a point here. It was just in Daniel Kaluuya's performance where yeah. every gesture was just, it was, it was exasperated, but it was used to it. It was just mm. like, I, you know, I fully anticipated this kind of reaction. Um, and there's just in the the very subtle like roll of his eyes where he's just like yeah well of of course this is what the language is like of Mm. course the policeman wants to see my id come on Mm. let's just let's just move on and and just the 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 fact that it seemed built into his uh demeanor Mm -hmm. this this weariness and wariness i suppose uh white society that just oh he's he's lived it this is this is a reality for him yeah and also that whole sense of the fact that he's living in he's someone who's lived in new york he's probably lived in there a long time he was probably in new york during the 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 michael bloomberg administration when stop and frisk was kind of a major part of police um procedure i think it, it still is but it's been decreased quite a bit so you know he's the sort of person who's used to just being stopped on the street for no reason and having a antagonistic relationship with the police but one mm. and so yeah you'd like to say in his whole demeanor is like yeah this is i know this is a terrible thing but please don't make a big deal out of this because i'm used to this whole thing don't don't kind of be indignant about it in, in the way that you're being and I, I found that his performance like you say is great in that moment 
there's also the, the queasy uh, sort of implicit thing going on there, which is that if he used the same language to the the cop that um, Alison Williams' character is, mm. um, he would you know, could, could be arrested on the spot. Yeah. So she's so forthright with him. It's just um, without ever calling it that or even really drawing attention to it. There's just this undercurrent there of white privilege. Like mm. he's allowed to say this to the cop. He's not. Yeah. I think you also see that later on when they get to the house and Bradley Whitford is like calling him, I think he calls him like my man or, or something like that. Oh, you know, he, yeah. Yeah. He, he tries to do that thing of, of appropriating kind of what he thinks of as kind of hip black speech, which all mm-hmm. just comes off as, as kind of awkward, but not necessarily sinister. It is sinister because of the first scene and everything. We know that something strange is going on and, and we know what the movie is. We, we've seen the trailers. We know something very strange is going on in this neighbourhood. But We've also already had our first glance of at least Walter, who's the groundsman. And I, yes. I, don't know whether, I, I can't remember whether you've seen Georgina, the, the maid at that point. Um, and there's just that sort of that weirdness about the way that Walter looks at him. It's got a very eerie shot. And and, mm. and there's there's nothing else at that point that suggests to you that this house is a sinister place or that their family is sinister. Um but you just you just know at that moment you're you're immediately uneasy um, in that space because of this 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 panning shot that pans past Walter the groundsman as he just stares quite blankly. Mm. And and there's also I, I think one of the things that really impressed me about the film in general is is how confident Jordan Peele's visual sense is, because obviously through his work on on Keen Peele, their sketches always had a cinematic quality to it. They yeah. were very good at yeah. appropriating it. But he wasn't the director on those. It was I think uh, Peter Atencio, I believe, who also directed Keanu. So this was the first thing I'd seen of his that he had he had directed, and. Uh, his choices in in those moments like the way in which that shot kind of lingers a little too long and the look on him is very very um uneasy but also when he they have first arrived at the house and they get out the car it all unfolds in a single shot from very far away so what you, you kind of get this um eerie kind of voyeuristic quality of being very far removed and watching this what should be a very kind of convivial first meeting or a, a meeting where the camera would go up close to catch their reactions actually takes place very, very far away. And you're left to kind of wonder if there are any kind of social cues being given off. Uh, and I think that's a, a really interesting way of, again, just kind of keying the audience into knowing that things are not as chummy and kind of playfully awkward as as they uh everyone is playing it off as being yeah yeah it's um it's the the classic sort of comedy trope of the the awkward family meeting mm. but just given this extra level of sinisterness where yeah. is that a word sinisterness sinistros sinistrosity yeah um where, where you uh yeah it's a it's a familiar thing you recognize but just the very fact that he's black and they're a white family mm-hmm. makes you just it puts you on edge. You you you've been warned by the earlier scenes that everything's not quite right, and so already you're as on edge as Chris is just by being there in that room. 
and and it also does the opposite of something like guess who's coming to dinner which in some ways feels like the more kind of patronizing version of of this movie in some ways where it's trying to say oh you know she's brought a a black guy back to meet her family you know oh what's going to happen you know how are her parents going to react to this and then the parents instead of being shocked are just kind of like hey it's great great to see you and things like that but with that underlying sense of, of kind of awkwardness and unease but also in kind of like the the stanley kramer movie you know there'll be close-ups of katherine uh, hepburn and and spencer tracy's face to let you know you know how they're feeling in that moment and and jordan peele just completely strips that away and says no you don't you don't get to see what these people are going to do in this moment you just kind of see the broader sense of their body language from from far away yeah uh, and also in terms of uh, one of the things that i think is is impeccable about the movie is the casting like you mentioned um uh, walter who's played by marcus henderson who i think does a a fantastic performance particularly if you watch it again and you kind of and you know what's happening are we uh, are we spoil are we spoiling the film i think so i think we should probably like to, it's been out for for like a month in the u.s and it's been out for a week or so in, in the uk so i think at this point yeah spoilers ahead when when you when you know that the uh, that everyone except for Chris, um, all of the the black people in the film, ha- are old white people who have had their their personalities put into the bodies of of the black characters. When you know he's like an old man, an old white man, he's the grandfather of the family, and like the way in which he talks to Chris, where he uses very old timey slang uh, yeah. and everything, he does a really good job of selling the awkwardness of that. Betty Gabriel, I thought, was amazing as as georgina um at the, the moment where she's like no 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 yeah. no no and there's just a single tear rolling down mm-hmm. her face it's just it makes your skin crawl um but i thought of the the three um african-americans that are still there in the community lakeith stanfield as um mm. logan yeah. uh was um just his 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 demeanor the way he carried himself it's fascinating to see um because unfortunately we're a bit more familiar with white people's derogatory impressions of black people Mm -hmm. and this was kind of an insight into how black people view the language and uh, demeanor and characteristics of old white people yes seeing that flipped was just like oh that's so real and also funny but Mm -hmm. unnerving um yeah, I really enjoyed that that element of it. Again, it's one of those things where when you know that he's playing the old husband of that that lady, it mm-hmm. just adds this ex- totally different element to his performance. Yeah, and I love that there's lots of kind of layering in the movie in terms of, of the, the script. There are, are lines that have double meanings, performances that are kind of performance layered on top of performance layered on top of performance um there's lots of good kind of setup and payoff which is the sort of thing like well i think one of the reasons why the film has been so well received is um in in addition to kind of the social elements to it you know and, and the satire which are make it kind of um very kind of um relevant and very of the moment mm-hmm. particularly in 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 the current the current state of the country um is is the fact that it is just a masterclass in a very well written movie like it it pays attention to the basics of of screenwriting like hey we're going to set up this thing in the first act and it's going to come back in the second and the third act you know like the deer getting run over which becomes part of the 
trauma of Chris, you know, the fact that his mum was killed in a hit and run incident and he blames himself for it, which then causes him to rescue uh, Georgina at the end, which almost gets him killed. And, you know, it kind of, it, the fact that these things are set up and come back, um, the kind of the basics of screenwriting, which are usually in, in a lot of genre films, particularly the kind of the, the cheaper stuff that Bloomhouse put out because they will just kind of put anything out. Um, that stuff is kind of left uh, un. There's there's no sense to people putting the effort in, and you can really tell that Jordan Peele has thought about it. Yeah, and I uh, like just as an aside, I love the sound editing when mm. it mixes the the sound of a fly buzzing around the room with the dying deer in the woods. Yes, and those two sounds blend. It was just a really unsettling piece of sound editing that I thought was very clever. Um, but I I think I think part of the reason it's appealed as well is. Um, is having that one hook that people connect with. I think a lot of the times these lower budget films will gain a massive audience because there's there's something that hooks the audience in. So mm. with The Purge, it's that that killer concept mm. of one day without um w- without any laws. Uh, and you saw that, you know, parodied on YouTube and Vine back when Vine was a thing, <laughs> there was a re- there's a really funny running joke on Vine about um, you know one of the white women in the purge, and it's just like a bunch of people running out of Starbucks with as many cups as they can hold, <laughs> um, uh, and and that that entered pop culture in a in a massive way, and um, that was another Bloomhouse production, wasn't it? Yes, uh, and I think in this one, um, the sunken place has already is already weaving its way into memes and uh, general discussion. You know that now you're in the sunken place. Jordan Peele even, uh, I think, tweeted a picture from the Oscars mm-hmm. of the, the guests that walked in. You know, when Jimmy Kimmel brought everyone in. And yep. there's that picture of <laughs> one of the stars whispering to a black woman. And he just captioned it, now you're in the sunken place. Yeah, yeah. And so I think, I think that's, that concept has uh, captured people's imaginations. And it is, is visually really well represented in the, in the film as well it's uh, also become shorthand there have been lots of instances in the last couple of weeks it seems uh, maybe this is something that's been going on for a while but of of black celebrities people like steve Har- steve harvey kanye west people who have been seen as being chummy with with donald trump or saying oh you need to you need to respect him or whatever and like mm-hmm. the the first response to that is people will say oh he's in the sunken place yeah <laughs> on, yeah on twitter uh, you know, for African Americans who are acting a little too white, mm-hmm. <laughs> you're in the sunken place. Yeah, so I think you think you're right. Like that that element of it, and the fact that the um the scene where Chris goes out for a cigarette and Walter like runs at him and turns away at the last moment has become a meme in and of itself. People kind of recreate that video that that moment of running just towards. Oh, the camera I've and not turning. discovered that yet. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. People do that a lot as well. So there there are elements of it which were pretty much by because even like that oscars joke that the the, the get out uh, opened the weekend of the oscars so the fact that on oscar night or monday you know that people were making jokes about the sunken place by then and uh, were it, it instantly kind of everyone knew what that meant that was a sign that something about the movie had really kind of struck a chord and i think that's that's part of the the the, the first indication that the movie was going to have very long legs and people were going to be re-watching it and, and talking about it for a long time to come. So I, I, I want to talk about um, 
Lil Rel Harry, who plays mm. uh, Rod from the TSA. Yes. That I, I think is also, uh, I think, perfectly encapsulates the appeal of the film. So uh, when Jordan Peele was doing the late night circuit and doing interviews about Get Out and that kind of thing, he said that comedy is a, a lot like horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that you're wanting to evoke a very visceral, noisy reaction from the crowd. Sure. Uh, and he was saying, he, he, he referred to the stereotype of African-American cinema audiences as being that crowd who will yell, you know, oh, no, don't go in there. You know, they'll, they'll tell characters in horror films what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I don't live in America. I can't speak as to whether that stereotype's true, but I, I'm, I'm aware of the stereotype, and it's something that, they've played on before in their movie hecklers sketch as well. Yeah. <laughs> where, where, where it turns out they're very cine literate hecklers. <laughs> um, and, and so he, that kind of thing is in his mind where he's, he's wanting to make a film where his audience are going to be like screaming and yelling along with it and, and reacting audibly to what's going on on screen. And Rod is essentially that audience personified. Because he's he's the one who's who's clearly consumed too many of these films and has all of these wild ideas about what could be happening to Chris, what could be happening in this community, and I think um, a lot of uh, audiences are just going to connect with his characters. Like, yeah, of course you don't go in there. The the voice of reason, you know, we've all watched a horror film. Like, why on earth would you open that door? Mm-hmm. Why would you do that? Uh, and I just like him as kind of an, an avatar for the audience who's just reacting to everything with this bafflement and all of these crazy theories. Um, and I, I just think it's an inspired touch to have almost that stereotype of a black American audience member there as a character in the film. I, I thought that was very neat anyway. Yeah, and it also functions wonderfully as kind of a pressure valve or, or a release valve throughout the movie when things are yeah. getting a little too intense chris will call him and then you'll get a scene where he kind of again like he starts saying you know it's a sex cult it's a sex cult and the fun thing of course is that he's like 90 percent of the way there he's yeah 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 <laughs> um but, you know he gets most of it right and that's that's really funny as well in retrospect but you know he's he's there to kind of release it but then once you everything is revealed and it's like oh the whole family's in on this and they've been kidnapping people for years and operating on them and all of this sort of stuff um and and chris goes through the most intense and bleak part of the movie when he's being kind of ludovico techniqued in the basement of you know being kind of tied to a chair and forced to watch and being hypnotized over and over again like a bit of ludwig van (laughs) he uh He's like that's when the film switches perspective and it follows Chris as he's trying to uh, Rod, sorry, as he's trying to investigate and trying to get people to believe him. And you kind of get a few scenes of him trying to convince other people of his crazy theories, and they just laugh in his face. And it's nice that at the bleakest point of the film is also the funniest because you'll get a cut back to his scenes and and you kind yeah. of can relax for a minute or two <laughs> away from this this kind of. Uh, impending sense of dread and doom that the the other half of the movie is engendering. I mean, I wish I wish blockbuster directors had like just an ounce of Peel's tonal control. Mm. Like he just he just holds the tone of the film perfectly the whole way through, and it's it's just such a balanced film. Right? Mm. And you know, 
I just the last thing I did before we started recording this podcast was I watched the new Justice League trailer. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you can you can tell the bits where they've they've been like, guys, people are complaining that DC films are too uh, grim. Mm. Let's let's put in some jokes, and they're so oh, they're so lame. Yeah, the jokes are so. I mean, I think I think Marvel jokes are pretty limp as well. Mm. Um, uh, you know, it's clearly like, and now we have the zinger, and it's it's telegraphed, and it's it's just. Uh, it's it's not much better than the, the you know the puns of Adam West Batman from back in the day, mm. and it's just there's no there's no tonal control over blockbusters. I guess is what I'm trying to say. There, it 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 veers wildly, or it's just so so it's either something like Batman vs Superman just veers wildly, or it's just hits this kind of like sludgy middle ground. Yeah. Whereas Peel holds all of these things in tension. He he holds the humor. The jumps. I don't actually think it's much of a horror film. I th- hmm. thought, thought of it more as a thriller. But he's got the thrills. He does have the jump scares. There's a little bit of gore in there. There's the social commentary. And he's juggling all of these things. And he doesn't let a single ball drop. Yeah, and I think that also plays into, I think, why when it initially came out, there did seem to be a lot of confusion about what kind of movie it was. Like you say, it is. it definitely is scary in places. Although the scariest thing that happens in the movie is just Georgina walking by in the background, which is a really effective yeah. kind of jump scare yeah. makes you go ah okay um you know and that's that that's kind of the level of of the scares the rest of it is more just makes you feel really uncomfortable and tense although uh, i i think the scariest part of the film for me was the auction oh yeah oh god yeah, that that's... that creeped me out no end mm-hmm. Brad, bradley whitford being superb and aging very well um yeah <laughs> uh but just the, the silence um auctioning that goes on was just because you still don't know what's happening at that point mm-hmm. uh that that was that was a terrific like and, and genuinely very scary i thought yeah 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 definitely that there's there's a lot of moments in it that are are, are really frightening in either because they are jump scares or just because you're watching something and you're thinking there there's some sort of uh, something terrible is going to happen for Chris and he doesn't know it, but we do, which is the definition of suspense, you know, just mm. keeping the characters, uh, not not letting the characters know what's happening, but letting us know, you know, the whole Hitchcock thing about, you know, letting people see that there's a bomb under the table is is more effective than just having a bomb go off. Um, as, as opposed, which is kind of the opposite of what a lot of other storytellers do, where the characters know what's happening, mm. but they've just used some fairly weak screenwriting to keep it from the audience for some reason yeah it's, it's the opposite of what you want yeah and, and also um like you say bradley whitford is is great and i think that there's a wonder one of the master strokes of the of the casting of the movie is that they choose actors to play the the family and some of the other kind of um white white characters who have a certain kind of weight to them and, and a certain kind of association with playing kind of good good-hearted kind of liberal people like josh you know bradley whitford is josh lyman the, the most kind of idyllic liberal um democrat member of the white house staff in the west wing you could possibly have you know someone who really believes in advancing in progressive terms and advancing thing Catherine keener in things like please give is kind of just the most bleeding heart of bleeding heart liberals she just cries when she sees homeless people on the street 
yeah. Alison, Alison Williams in in Girls, you know, there's that kind of real sense of kind of white privilege sort of thing where she believes in social causes, but she's also, you know, very annoying person. Uh, and you just kind of, the, casting them is such a kind of a great bit of intertextuality on the part of, of Jordan Peele, because it's basically saying, you know, the sort of characters these people usually play, I'm going to turn those character types against them <laughs> and against you uh, by making you think, but by casting the most kind of um, safe and cozy actors you could possibly have. Yeah, um, and almost that you could argue that the West Wing is partially responsible for, mm-hmm. for the, the the sort of impractical idealism perhaps, sure. of the left. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we 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 have dreams of Martin Sheen being our president and Bradley Whitford in the cabinet or whatever, mm. but working behind the policy and. Uh, we like to think of ourselves as a bit of a Bradley Whitford. Yeah. And this, this makes you question even that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think that that's, you know, that that also, and casting someone like Stephen Root, someone on Facebook said, uh, and I thought this was just the perfect way of, of quoting it, it, says, if I see someone's cast Stephen Root in a movie, I know they know what they're doing <laughs> because he's such a great actor, and but he's someone who is not necessarily utilised um in mainstream stuff he's just one of those great character actors who shows up in things so when you see it you think okay this person has watched a lot of good movies and knows good actors when he sees them in the interest of balance i I think the only sort of duff note was perhaps caleb landry jones who uh plays jeremy um the brother oh yeah i slightly feel like he strolled in from another blumhouse film (laughs) yeah yeah he's very obvious in his kind of antagonism but also his i think like a lot of the 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 middle part of the movie is white characters subtly lusting after chris mm-hmm. either because of his physical prowess or or their own ideas about the sexual prowess of of african-american men uh and you know that's because they're going to be put into their bodies or someone they know is going to be put into their bodies and they're kind of really excited about that prospect but but mainly it's just kind of playing on the idea of 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 um kind of white liberal people kind of fetishizing the black body in a a way um which is really effective but his version he's really pushing it kind of too far uh even though i think they do a nice thing of getting in the 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 fact that he refers to he talks about chris like saying oh if you really put the work in you could be a real beast and things like that and beast is a term that is often used like to refer to um kind of african-american um sports people (laughs) The, the, mo- the most uncomfortable thing that's ever been pointed out to me about the films I love is uh, mm. t- someone was talking about um, Beasts of the Southern Wild and Beasts ah. of No Nation yeah. as two films about black people, not directed by black people, with beasts in the title. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Thanks a lot. You- I mean, I'll- I will forever love Beasts of the Southern Wild, but still, it is an awkward um, titling coincidence. Yeah, I just yeah, I hadn't thought about that before either. It really, it really is terribly unfortunate for for what is uh, a fantastic movie, uh, mm-hmm. and at least mm-hmm. that film has actual monsters in it that it can refer to, whereas yeah. uh, Beast of No Nation actually doesn't. It's just really, really unfortunate term terminology. Yeah, uh, but um, yeah, I was uh, so I was saying about um, uh, the genre of the movie. Like there was a lot of discussion where people some people were referring it to a horror comedy which i think speaks to 
um, a broader problem that a lot of people have of, say, of distinguishing between comedy and satire. I think a lot of people conflate the two. And they are, you know, satires are often funny, but satires often, they're just kind of, if you look at something like Network, Network's not a comedy. It's a exaggerated version of the way that Paddy Chayefsky saw that the, the media was going and it was just kind of a, a drama. And I feel like if people say, oh, it's like a satirical thriller or a satirical horror movie, they think, oh, it's going to be kind of a laugh riot, which it really isn't. It does have some funny moments. And I think everyone thought, oh, Jordan Peele's a comedy guy. He's going to make a comedy, uh, which he totally didn't. And the film is much better for that, I think. Yeah, I mean, um, Rod is pretty much the only explicitly funny character. Mm. There, there are some nervous laughs that you have just yeah. in the, 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 the coded language of the white people. Mm-hmm. that kind of makes you chuckle in a way where you ask can i can i laugh at that <laughs> um but it's yeah it's 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 hardly a laugh a minute yeah it's that laughter of recognition but not the family guy laughter of ref- recognition where you just drop in a reference and people says ha i know that yeah and it's, it's... it's also not cabin in the woods another mm-hmm. terrific bradley whitford film actually but uh, yeah. it's it's not that which is genuinely hilarious while also having a fair amount of gore involved as well yeah and and i also really appreciated that it was a movie even though its concerns are very contemporary obviously uh, and they're very tied into what what jordan peele's been exploring pretty much consistently for the last sort of four or five years of his career um it kind of took its its cues from older movies like i referenced um rosemary's baby and stepford wives both kind of are very much movies about um exploring social anxieties and and uh people's concerns about the the state of america really or the state of feminism uh in stepford wives um through a a a particular genre and through a thriller um or something like arlington road which is like one of the the bleakest kind of of those kind of movies of suggesting oh something's happening in suburbia oh you live next door to terrorists you know that's kind of a, a really Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that it was drawing from older movies and it did feel like a success to those movies, which also was, was quite funny when you consider we had a remake of Rosemary's Baby last year and this felt like more of a kind of a... a, a did real... we? Yes, with uh, Zoe Saldana. It was a miniseries. No one watched it. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't even heard of it. So um, yeah. maybe it never crossed the pond. Yeah, so but it, like that movie didn't... That miniseries, rather, didn't feel like a modern day rosemary's baby whereas this absolutely did it felt completely um in keeping with what those movies tried to do which is to be really entertaining but also make you question the very nature of reality yes yeah uh which i which is uh, something i'm always in favor of in a in a movie one of the 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 points of discussion that has really dominated the the discourse around the movie in in recent weeks at least um, was the casting of Daniel Kaluuya as the lead. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya is a British-born actor. Um, I first saw him in Psychoville, the wonderful, strange, serialized sitcom from the two of the League of of Gentlemen. Um, uh, so, like, I, I, so, and and I'm really glad that he has had the kind of huge success that he's had. Um, but uh, Samuel L. Jackson kind of took issue with that and said that he would rather have seen a African American actor play the part because he felt that he would have had um a more kind of fuller understanding of the african-american experience um and there's been a lot of kind of discussion about this you know on on both sides of, of people who side with samuel jackson people who 
who um, say that he's wrong and and people kind of in between. Um, how do you kind of feel about that discussion um, as it, as it's played out? In, and, and do you think it does detract from the movie? No, not at all. I mean, I I, I think um, uh, the film's the film. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I I, uh, I wouldn't. I, I think mostly it's a damning indictment on the British film industry. Yeah, um, because both David Yellowo and Chiwetel Ejiofor have both spoken of having to move to America because there aren't black roles in the mm. UK, um, yeah. and that's actually one thing that America does do better. So um, I, I can totally understand why uh, Danny Kaluuya has crossed the Atlantic to go looking for roles. I thought he was great in Sicario as well. Mm. Um, and I think he's great. I, I mean, it's hard to imagine anyone else in the role, but that could just be me not being very imaginative. Um, but I, I do think he's, um, I think he's terrific. Um, and it's, I mean, it's not like Britain is free of racism. No. So, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I, uh, I, I doubt he he's lived his life without anyone treating him differently because of his race until he moved to America. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, that's something that Jordan Peele also said in, uh, I think he even said this prior to Samuel Jackson's comments. He basically said, you know, I wanted to cast an African-American guy, but he spoke, he saw uh, Daniel Kaluuya's audition and thought he was really great. And he spoke to him and he felt, okay, there was enough commonality in the kind of the African-American and the, the black British experience that, he could play the role. I think he does a great job of of selling those kind of things, and there is probably enough commonalities in our, you know, our, our history, racial histories in Britain and America are obviously very different. But like you say, it's not like there's no racism in in Britain. Yeah. Um. Yeah. You know, I grew up in a in a town that voted sixty forty for Leave, so I'm pretty sure. Uh, that uh, there's a see, lot of that. I live in Edinburgh, so yeah. we're, we're... the bastion of of yeah. Remainers. Yeah. Um. For now. <laughs> yeah um yeah remain remain in one sense not in maybe not in a, yes, a smaller yeah, sense yeah um, but um there, there was a slight sense of well we did our bit guys <laughs> and i'm i'm as you can probably tell well for americans listening to this this is not a scottish accent so <laughs> but yeah. uh I've, I've i've lived here seven and a half years now and do feel quite an affinity for scotland and its politics so yeah, I I always get the sense because at, at various points I'd considered moving to Edinburgh for for kind of jobs in the game industry because Rockstar are based up there, but it's really hard to get a yeah. job with Rockstar. Um, and I always thought their politics probably align more with me than what's happening in the UK and certainly in the US. God, um, but more importantly, Edinburgh is the best city in the UK. So, uh, and that's just a that's just a fact. And anyone from London will try and disagree with you, but they're wrong. So, yeah, they don't have the Fringe Festival. They don't no, get. I mean. They've got lots of other culture, but I mean, Edinburgh name one, great. name one bit of culture. Oh, that's a good point. Very good <laughs> you point. can't. <laughs> I can't there's, do it. I can't do there's, it. There's nothing there, but but yeah, like, and I think you're right in saying that it's it's a reflection on the British film industry because the the British film industry doesn't really make um, movies about kind of of about black British people apart from you know um, adulthood, kidhood, you know, basic basically all by uh oh what's his name no no clark. clark yeah basically uh, no clark alone is, is kind yeah. of propping up the the, the that that well, part of the industry god bless amara sante who um oh yeah uh, yeah 
I didn't I I didn't think much of the United Kingdom at all after that's <laughs> a really weak film. Mm. Um apart from the two central performances. I mean David Yellowo is just let's can he run the country? I love David Yellowo. <laughs> <laughs> also like guy. yeah, I, I'm also like uh, you know, a committed Christian. Um and mm. uh it's just really heartening to read interviews by him. He was interviewed in The Guardian at one point. Uh, around the time of Selma Mm. and they said you know Alistair Campbell once said we don't do God and he said well I do do God I was like (laughs) yes David Um, so so they were great Uh, but I thought Belle was a really terrific film and what I liked about Belle was that it proved that you you know the British film industry is so often preoccupied with period dramas and Mm. I'm not complaining I I love a good period drama you know uh, adapt you know, Jane Eyre as many times as you want, I'll, I will go and watch it. But um, it, it showed, it took a very white genre and showed that there are actually stories you can tell within that genre that don't have to be um, as tasty as my skin. So, mm. but, but you also then, that also plays into the broader problem because obviously Gugu and Bata Raw works primarily in america so they made yep. one one movie where she was the lead and in a again in a genre that is very lily white even by british standards um and then like oh yeah by the way now you're going to have to go over to america because that's where where the roles are which um, is nuts because she's got to be you know one of the best actors around at the moment mm. like if you watch her in that and then beyond the lights and then her black mirror episode sanjana napero and you've got three totally different performances. She's utterly convincing in each one. And, you know, even by the shallow standards of Hollywood, whether, like, we we want to cast beautiful people, she is, like, absolutely stunning. Mm. So, she like, here is someone who is the real deal and, uh, you know, Britain struggling to find roles for her. What, what, is, what is up with that? She's having to play a broom. Like... <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, it's dreadful, and I think you know, I, I think that Samuel Jackson's complaints are, in a broad sense, correct in that maybe you could have had, you know, like I think this is true. This is true also of basically any role where, um, and this happens in every kind of part of Hollywood where they'll cast, um, kind of Mexican actors to play Colombians or whatever. You know, they they'll just basically go to any, they'll look at any racial group and say, okay, you look close enough, and we'll just cast you in anyway, um, and there's they don't kind of distinguish the fact between the fact there are there's lots of diversity within groups that are kind of lumped together for the purpose of diversity but it's also that you it's it's strange to kind of pick a fight with daniel uh, over that and daniel kaluuya in particular because it's more indicative of just a problem throughout the entire film industry that there's not enough roles really to go around particularly in the uk but also the us so if you want to be an actor and you want to make a living you can kind of try and um, scrape out a living in the UK, or you could go to the US, where there's going to be a lot more opportunity. Uh, yeah. uh, and it's just it's just a terrible shame. Uh, and I think, but it, I think it's it's good that the kind of the discussion has been had because it does reveal that oh yeah, this is a a huge problem that probably won't get solved because the bigger, broader problem of diversity is is hard enough to solve as it is before getting into the very kind of the specifics of it. 
What in terms of the the kind of the the future, I guess for for Jordan Peele, he's talked about how he want he's got ideas for I think four or five more of what he's calling social horrors, uh, which again kind of falls into this kind of um, Rosemary Baby, um, Ira Levin kind of idea of exploring societal concerns and anxieties through genre. Um, how you know i'm I'm assuming you're kind of looking forward to those as as i am um how worried are you that he'll get sidetracked and be given a superhero movie oh i'm not particularly worried because um <laughs> he's not like a white sundance graduate so That's true. I mean, well i suppose taika waititi does slightly defy that um mm. and but... uh and um the guy behind creed who's doing black panther yes i'm i'm uh, that is probably the first superhero film i'm actually looking forward to in a good long time <laughs> um that cast oh my goodness if if anyone can make a good superhero film it's it's, it's that team but mm-hmm. no i think i think peel i think jordan peel knows what he's got with blumhouse yeah I mean, they've got a they've got an excellent business model um i know you talked talked about this last episode so i'm going to too much but you know it should, the, it's a model that should be replicated um across hollywood i think I think he knows what he's got. He's got creative freedom. Um, he'll probably be given bigger budgets for his next few because, um, mm. you know, from the director of Get Out, is now going to have serious um, advertising heft. So I'm very excited. I'll be, I'll be first in line. Um, there are a few of these indie directors who are yet to succumb to the, the lure of the big screen. Um, I regularly worry about Ben Zeitlin. <laughs> going back to Beast of the Southern Wild, he, he, he's a, a prime candidate to be uh, molded by the studios. But, you know, um, I think uh, David Lowry um, mm. is perhaps the, if, if, if Peel is going to do it, if he could follow the same mold as David Lowry, that, that would be a, a good thing for cinema because Pete's Dragon was magnificent. Yeah. And really infused with his personality as well. Like you could track the progress from Ain't Them Body Saints onto Pete's Dragon. Uh, I, I loved it. And then he's, I think he's doing Peter Pan, but in between that, he just made a small indie called A Ghost Story that um, mm. got rave reviews at Sundance. So if he's like doing studio films that he's clearly passionate about, it's not just like, oh, cool, I've finally made it to the studio system. And then making these like, niche indie side products on the side all while keeping his personality i mean i don't know how possible that'll be because it's hardly like pete's dragon set the box office on fire but mm. um I, I wouldn't mind if so much if if more films were like that yeah i think um i i'm i'm often torn with directors who you know they they have a success even if it's just kind of a critical success on a low scale and then suddenly they're offered kind of a big broad canvas because it does seem to be the rule in hollywood that the more money you get the less freedom you have which shouldn't be how it works but it absolutely is and i i think i would love to see jordan peele get his hands on kind of a bigger project and and do something with a kind of a big budget and see what he could do with it but if he sticks with Bloomhouse doing like instead of 4.5 million let's do a 9 million budget movie yeah. um as think... as as cinematic jordans go uh, rather another peel than a vote roberts so yeah yeah <laughs> uh it'd be I think it would be fantastic if get out ends up outgrossing kong skull island it won't worldwide because the film 
um, horror just in general doesn't have quite the cachet of big monsters beating each other up. Also, but... Kong Skull Island has probably the most egregious um, pitching for the Chinese market character that uh, I've right. seen in a long time. Um, I'm just looking at the name of the actress now. Jian Jing um, <laughs> plays... Have you seen Kong Skull Island? Uh, I haven't uh, yet, no. Oh, my goodness. So... <laughs> This is she's the only other female role in the film, although never once has a conversation with Brie Larson in the entire thing. Kind of thing. <laughs> Maybe you guys would talk to one another. I I, I don't know. Mm. He has nothing to do. At the end of it, there there's kind of the implication that there's some connection between her and Corey Hawkins, which they've not developed at all. She she has maybe three lines in the whole film, and you just you just know that she's in it so they can put her in the trailers for the Chinese market. Like that's mm. how blatant it is these days. So yes, I suspect Kong Skull Island will do better worldwide, but um, it's a shame. <laughs> it's a shame. Well, well, Get Out did have that one Asian character. <laughs> Maybe that was their sop to it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although I, I, I can't imagine it getting past the censors out there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, it's very hard to get a movie into China in general. I think, I think something that is so culturally specific as Get Out, probably. Yeah. And also, I well, think Ch- sorry. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm intrigued to see how it does in the UK because, it, well, we feel a lot of connection to America and mm. um, follow the politics quite closely, too closely, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, wish Chris would shut up, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, come on, guys. I'm here to talk about film. <laughs> let's, just, let's just let's just call it with your hot takes. I'm sure I'm sure Donald isn't reading your tweets. Anyway, um, so we we you know we're invested in America and that kind of thing, but it it does feel very very American. I'm mm. speaking to that society as it is right now. So I'm intrigued to see how it'll do here. I think it's first weekend. It came in at third. So I'm interested to see what its word of mouth is. Yeah, I, I so far from what I've seen on 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 Twitter um, and uh, also on Facebook, a lot of my friends who are um, of kind of the same uh, cultural kind of background, I guess, or, or kind of pop culture literacy, really do seem to dig it. So I don't know if that will necessarily translate to a broader audience, but uh, I'd like to yeah. I like to think that it will. But film Twitter likes it, and that's, that's oh, yeah. really all that matters. Yeah, we film Twitter loves loves Jordan Peele and is divided on Terrence Malick. So it's, it's a strange state of affairs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I, I think I'd rather watch Jordan Peele's next film than Terrence Malick. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I, I think the new world is possibly my favorite film ever. Mm. But still, there's a line. There's a line, Terry. Yeah. He sold out now that he's appearing in public and allowing I know, his image to I know, be captured. The, the mystique's gone. And you wonder if he's just a bit of a leery old man. <laughs> uh, on that note, uh, we'll go into time, the... time to go to our sponsors. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, it's Terrence Malick. <laughs> yeah, no. Song to song in theaters now. <laughs> uh, uh, we go to our final segment of uh, of the show every week, which is SRS recommends, in which we recommend uh, some piece of culture that we have enjoyed. Uh, Nat, what have you got to recommend to our listeners? Is it is it something you want me to link to? Um... Doesn't have to be. Well, because I, I was going to say that the film that reminded me, I, I'm going to sound very white saying, okay. but the, the film that Get Out most reminded me of was, uh, in terms of the reaction I had to it, was Dear White People, mm. um, which is on Netflix UK. So if you haven't had the chance to watch that, it's such a sharp comedy. Um, 
and it's it's not quite as combative as the name suggests, but it does. It, it had that same thing of I saw my own sort of like coded racist language on the screen and mm. just felt like oh no that's me. Mm. Um, uh, so in terms of the kind of like sheer discomfort I felt um, <laughs> watching a film about race while also laughing and thinking lots dear white people is just it's, a, it's such a sharp film um, it's really really intelligent and yeah it's on it's on Netflix so and I think there's a TV series of it coming out in the not too distant future yeah so, it's going to be on Netflix as well so they're, yeah, they're all so, in on it so watch the film now and then um, yeah then then watch the TV series and then I guess also Kong Skull Island <laughs> <laughs> It's a little film. Needs your help. Um, no, uh, I, I don't know. Watch, 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 um, watch the original animation of Beauty and the Beast just to stick it to the remake. There's nothing. Get Out is the only good thing in cinemas right now. Anyway, so. uh, Logan's pretty good. Oh yeah, no, Logan's great. But you've all seen that already, so there's no point in me recommending. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm going to recommend uh, something that's uh, not related to the topic, but was just something that I discovered this week which uh, was way better than i thought it would be uh, a new sitcom called trial and error which is a weird blending of parks and recreation and the staircase slash making a murderer uh it is a okay kind of, it's a kind of mockumentary about a man played by john lithgow who is accused of murdering his wife by throwing her through a plate, plate glass, glass window and each episode focuses on the efforts of his legal team to try and poke holes in the prosecution's case against him and to try and figure out if he is innocent or not and it is all presented with the same feeling of something like like the staircase or making murderer where you are kind of being shown the kind of the backstory of the characters and the steps of the investigation but it's just also incredibly funny and strange there's a character in it who is every episode seems to be given a different um malfunction uh such as you know when she's first introduced we find out that she can't uh distinguish between people's faces uh in the next episode <laughs> in the next episode so whenever face people... blindness it was yes wasn't that a running thing it was it arrested development where face blindness was a running thing most likely there's lots of running uh, jokes in it. yeah, um, yeah. and then in another episode it's revealed that she um faints whenever she she experiences appreciation of beautiful art which is apparent <laughs> <laughs> which is apparently a real thing. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, 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 I mean, and it's just, it's so far, it's only aired four episodes, but it already feels like they've uh, built out this cadre of really funny, interesting characters who play off of each other really well. And the ads for it were very uninspiring, but I went in because I really loved John Lithgow and it was, it looked um, like an interesting idea, but it's it's been much more rewarding than I expected. Do you reckon I'll be able to see that in the UK? Uh, I imagine so. I'm not sure where it will show up, but it seems like the sort of thing that will crop up on Netflix right. or be buried on some kind of digital channel in, in a month's time or in three months' time. Because, I mean, t- TV is mostly the worst. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I, do, I do like comedy, a nice you know, short sitcom over lunch. But yeah, I, I, I really do uh, recommend that. It does have some, some really great stuff in it. Okay, uh, so thank you again, Nat, for coming on the show. Where can people find you online? What, what have you got to plug? I mean, you can also find me in real life, just wandering mm-hmm. around Edinburgh. Um, sure. Shouting my name. I might, I might hear you. 
um, <laughs> uh, online um, at Nathaniel Smith. Um, but spell it the biblical way, not the way you're thinking of spelling Nathaniel. <laughs> um, and I don't have a particular blog. I kind of write all over the place. So just follow me on Twitter and I'll link to my stuff from time to time. If it's good, I'll link to it. Um, and I'll be, I'll be on uh, Radio Scotland next week. Uh, no, first week of April reviewing Boss Baby. So if you want to hear about the peak of cinema, then, <laughs> then tune into that. Yeah, anyone who's excited about movies that are scheduled to come out after Boss Baby, you shouldn't be. They're all getting cancelled. I'm a little, I'm a little worried that I'll never be enthusiastic about a film again. So. <laughs> yeah, now that we've finally seen the thing we all wanted to see, which is a baby voiced by Alec Baldwin. Yeah, yeah. If you've enjoyed this episode of the show, then please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, all the user places. Please write us a review. It's the only way, as far as I know, that people can find us. Or I can, I could promote it more online, but I've got a job. <laughs> it's very, it's very hard just to kind of constantly tweet about things. Uh, you can also find us on Facebook and on Twitter. We are at SRS underscore podcast. We'll be back next week with something entirely different. But until then, it's goodbye from me. help me unpack the film drax them sklant <laughs> it's so hard to say that last word drax them sklant. yeah